All right, everybody, welcome to the Eric Anders Lang Show. Very special second timer on the podcast today. We've got Tom Doak, who I feel like is on the verge of being knighted. And so then we could call him Sir Tom, which would be really brilliant because he really is verging on the uh, the precipice of royalty, uh, especially with Terry Eady, his design in New Zealand, becoming number two on the Golf Digest list. Uh, however you believe in lists, I know that some of my colleagues do not uh, either believe in lists or believe that Terry Eady should be number two. I, however, disagree. Terry Eady is magic, especially when you consider that it's new. You know, Tom and I, after we uh, recorded this episode, if you're listening to this episode, you'll uh, you'll be hearing a discussion that Tom and I had in his, uh, in his studio, in his office in um, Traverse City, Michigan, in a, on a wonderful summer day, just after playing the loop twice for the Adventures in Golf episode that's on Scratch TV, one of uh, one of the one of the more thoughtful episodes for the golf geek out there. And um, because of its success, the Scratch team, Sam and I, decided to focus a bit more on architectural episodes in season five, which I apparently have just confirmed is happening. So that's exciting, um, but. You know, we're in his office and it's a and and we spend this hour together filming what would become a 40 second snippet in the Adventures in Golf episode. And here we had this, you know, rambling, wonderful 45 minute discussion that I felt just needed to be turned into a podcast. If you're listening, um, you know, we're just we're just hanging out in a shop that's just cluttered with with drawing tables and, uh, you know, uh, designs and photographs and flags and books and it's just all so interesting it's just a sort of a a cabin of um of creation and uh and i was just so inspired and we did have the opportunity this is and if you're if you're watching the video obviously you're going to see all this in a second and if you're listening and you want to watch just go over to the youtube channel i think you can just type in eal golf and it'll come up um but uh, it's the it's the tom doke wonderful wonderful and after we we had this discussion he and i went and played the club where he is a member crystal downs and you know, I, I I really do like having time off camera, but this is one of the times where I really wish we had shot it. That that said, we were not allowed to because Crystal Downs is a you know relatively uh, humble club that doesn't really want this uh, you know Eric Anders Lang camera crew rolling in hot on a summer Friday. It was quite busy that day, but we played Crystal Downs, which is a very old Mackenzie course sort of rested on the bluffs above Lake Michigan. I believe it's Lake Michigan. Um, but you can't really see the lake. You just sort of play this wonderful kind of linksy layout that has these completely bizarre holes. And, um, you know, Tom, in, in some sense, as he told me in, in, our, in our drive, we, we drove out to Crystal Downs, about an hour drive. We carpooled in his uh, sort of three-year-old BMW Z3 that was cluttered with hats from all the clubs that he designed. And his trunk had a couple pairs of dirty golf shoes and some and a little carry bag in there and um you know we we just crammed into this little convertible and took the hour drive and he just told me about how he got started and you know as you can tell from the interview that you're about to hear Tom is the kind of guy that can just sort of tell you a story for a long time and that's wonderful it's so great to be around someone that knows their craft and that's something that I really am inspired by and I love being around and I I really value my time with a gentleman like Tom Doak. So hopefully you do too, and hopefully you um, you know gain some inspiration out of it and hear some things that are interesting to you, some of the conversations around the reversibility of golf courses and the history 
the Don Simpson book that he talks about is really, um, really interesting. I mean, he's Tom is great because he's quick to uh, give credit where credit's due. If it's not his, if it's not his idea, he's, he gives it away. But if it is his, he takes credit for it as well. And there's something very wonderful about that simplicity. So enjoy our time with Tom and uh, think about us playing Crystal Downs. And I think I took one photo of him walking through the woods talking about a bear. But, um, yeah, we just had a great time out there and just played some pretty bad golf. Crystal Downs is one of the fucking hardest courses I've played in a long time. So, all right, that's enough for me. Enjoy the show, everybody. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. And, um, I don't know, maybe I'll see you in the showers. Wow. Montclair? Yeah, Montclair. Brian Schneider, one of my associates, is doing consulting work there. How many golf courses have you designed? Original golf courses from scratch, like 35. Really? Um, 30 or 35. And then there's a handful more that are basically total redesigns. Right. So I would count those as my designs. Right. You know, if, like, if I'm changing the routing around. Uh, you know, we also do a ton of consulting work for older golf courses. And a lot of them, you know, famous courses like Crystal Downs, I'm not really making any, uh, no new ideas there at all. It's like just trying to make this feel and play like Mackenzie's design. Right. Um, which sometimes involves change in grade that much, but, you know, that's because the world has changed. Um, but... You know, there's some that are kind of a gray area, like, okay, we've rerouted three or four holes, but most of it's still the old golf course. I wouldn't really count that as my design. You know, if I'm not, to me, my design, my style is so tied up in the routing and putting the greens in certain places that if I didn't do that part, I don't really feel like it's my design, even if I rebuild all the greens and change them around. So when was the first time that you can remember that you conceived of making your own reversible golf course? Um, well, I thought about it for years. Hey, Don, that, that book is right on the desk there under the plan. Can you grab that for me? So this is, this is Tom Simpson's book on golf course design. Simpson was, Simpson was a architect, an English architect in the 20s and 30s. Okay. Did a lot of the best courses in Europe, some of which were destroyed by the war shortly after. Um, you know, did, made changes to Valley Bunyan, made changes to Muirfield. I mean, he was, he was a very um, respected architect in his day, but doesn't have, you know, he, his career was mostly just after the depression so he he doesn't have the output of a lot of other architects so think like perry maxwell right you know he's a great architect but he didn't get to do that much because of timing he was also a great artist i mean this this book is full of his drawings and sketches of golf holes and these he did all that himself number number 14 at st andrews 17. Oh, that's 17. The road, that's okay. the road hole. Right. But notice it's just not a drawing of the road hole. It's like got elevations on how high that little plateau is. Whoa. And so, you know, a really detailed guy. And he could also do pen and ink stuff like nobody's business. Because that's I not, can't, that looks like know, a photograph. Yeah. And that's, that's his freehand artistry. And there's, you know, I can't do that at all. Don, who runs my office, can. Most of the stuff you see hanging up here, that's, anything that's artistic is Don. 
I couldn't do that to save my life. Oh, it's so interesting that he, uh, yeah, okay. So in the back of his book, there's a little appendix about the reversible golf course. And this is 100 years old. Uh, yeah, this was published, well, 90. This was published in 1929. Um, he does about six pages on a reversible golf course, starting with the fact that the old course in North Berwick and a bunch of old courses were played backwards sometimes. You know, he says to re what they call rest the golf course. Um, you know, in the, on the links courses in the winter, divots don't heal. You know, there's, there's four or five months where the grass isn't growing. So if there's a lot of play, the landing areas just get really divoted up. And, you know, that's a problem at Bandon. That's a, that's a problem at any, any fescue golf course that you're playing in the winter months at all. Um, one of the things they did to combat that is turn around and play the golf course backwards because then the, you know, the, the places that would get divoted up were not the main landing areas. So they, you know, so it wouldn't be a problem all next summer. You know, they, they kind of tear up different spots instead of like ha handing everybody an AstroTurf mat and making them hit off that, which some, a few of the links courses were doing for a while. I don't know if that's still a thing there. Or yeah. Not. Well, they do it at Port Rush. They did it at the old course yeah. a couple times in the winter. Yeah. I mean, for a while there, you had to play off mats for like four months in the winter on most of the famous Lynx courses. Nobody really likes doing that. No. Um, so this was another option. Play the golf course backwards. You won't, you won't take divots out of, the, out of the prime turf. So anyway, in addition to his little description of why you would do that, he did this, this diagram of three reversible golf holes, which totally explains the idea that, you know, one day you're playing this hole as a long par four. You go back here and you play a par three to this green over a little cross bunker. Then you back off this tee. This little fairway doesn't mean anything. You're driving it to there. There's a cross bunker. You're playing up and it's a short par five and the green's kind of on that angle. And there's only four greens. Yes. And then the next day or the same day, you're teeing up here, playing down this fairway short of the cross bunker. You've got a safe fairway out to the right if you, if you can't go straight for the green. Now you're playing into this green as a par three backwards. And then this hole, you have to carry this little thing that wasn't a factor at all off the tee to get home. You know, his, Simpson, in addition to doing a few famous courses like Morfontaine, um, he did a lot of not a lot, but maybe six or eight private courses for wealthy guys, like the Rothschild family, he did a couple of courses for. And they, you know, they only wanted three or six holes. And that would get pretty boring, just playing the same three holes over and over again. This, that's really what he did this for, not to do an 18-hole course. Just if you had a shorter thing, you know, give it more variety that way so you wouldn't get tired of playing it real fast. Right. Um, but I saw that, you know, I think I read this book when I was 16 or 17 or something like that. And I always had that in the back of my mind ever since. You could really do that somewhere. I never really thought I'd find somebody to let me do it for 18 holes. But, you know, I told the guys that worked for me about it like 15 or 20 years ago um, that 
I'd love to do that someday if we found the right place. And when we were doing um, the Rawls course for Texas Tech University, the donor was an engineer guy and it was, it was a dead flat site. It had nothing going on. So we could create something like this if we wanted to. So I did pitch it to him. You know, I did two plans and one of them was a reversible plan and I pitched it to him. And he was concerned, he was concerned about it visually, that it, that it wouldn't be attractive enough. And that's, it, he was right that you can't, you can't worry so much about making it attractive if you're playing from both ways. You know, anything you do to make a bunker prettier and more visible this way means you can't see it as well from the other way. Right. So if, you're, if you want to do something that's really pretty, if you want to do something that relies on a lot of things visually and, you know, if you're playing toward a beautiful background of the ocean, when you're playing the whole the opposite way, it's at your back and it's not a factor at all. Um, so a lot of sites, you know, the clients have different priorities and, and something like this doesn't make so much sense. Well, you know what's funny is now that you say it, I can look back on playing the loop twice yesterday and see what you're saying. But when I played it yesterday, it just looked a lot like a real traditional links course where it's... Yeah. Where it's, where it's just sort of all the bunkers are circular. I mean, there is an angle to them, but, you know, they're not, uh, you know, these modern sort of paintings. Right. And it, it doesn't rely on bunkers so much generally. There's a lot more slopes off greens, and there's a lot more little contours in the fairways. That's what it reminds you of yeah. the links as much as anything. And, you know, I hadn't necessarily thought of that part, but I knew that we, you know, I knew that there were certain kinds of greens we couldn't do that they wouldn't work so well in two directions, but then there were a lot of kinds that would work just fine and would really be interesting, like just, you know, a long skinny green played from 90 degrees to the side is a shallow wide green. Uh, you know, a green that's right to left, 45 degrees, coming in this way, would be right to left at 45 degrees if you're coming in straight from 180 degrees opposite, but would be a left to right if you're coming in from the side. Right. So, you know, a green that's slightly falling away one way is just pitched toward you from the other direction. So you don't need three-tiered greens. Three-tiered greens don't work so well. You know, you don't want to be playing downhill into a three-tiered green running away from you. So we had to, you know, so kind of we had to dump out a lot of the things that we're known for. Wild greens contours, pretty bunkers, not, not going to work so much there. So in the process of, you know, designing and then ultimately actually making the loop, was there something that you learned that you really weren't expecting about the design or golf course design in general? Uh, was there something that you thought would work? Golf course design in general, I don't know so much, but... Uh, specific to a reversible golf course. Um, the, the main piece of feedback I've got on the golf course that I didn't expect was how different it is playing backwards. Like a bunch of people saying, it doesn't even feel like the same golf course. It doesn't even feel like the same piece of ground. I wouldn't have believed that I was on the same thing except, except I know I was. And you know, certain, there would be certain holes where you're, you know, you miss somewhere around the greens and then you realize, Oh, this is the same green I played yesterday. But you don't realize it coming up on it. And that's because the backgrounds are completely different. Every green you're coming into, you know, one day you're looking on past and down the next fairway. 
But the next day you're coming in from 90 degrees to the side and there's this stand of trees there that you didn't even notice the day before. And now that's right in your frame of view and that's, you know, that's how you remember the whole visually. So, you know, I've known for a while that backgrounds are important to the, the picture, but they're even more important than people realize. I mean, that's, that's the lasting impression of the golf course to some people. And, and that's what makes it so different even though you're playing to the same greens. Well, and usually the background is kind of what you're aiming at. You know, right. everyone says that tree, that tree, you know, and so you don't really even look at the flag a lot of the time. Right, I mean, you know, we do, when I worked for Pete Dye, you know, he, he wanted to take out, you know, if there was a tree that people would aim at, he would knock it down. <laughs> <laughs> he did not want to give you things to aim at and make it easier for you. Really? And I do that, I don't do that all the time, I'm not gonna, saw down a big oak tree because it's a good driving line on the 14th hole at Cricket Stick. Mr. Dye did that. Uh, wow. 12 red. 12 red. 12 red. The, the drivable par 4 up the, Am I right? up the slot. No, it's not 12 red. 8 red. 12 black. The tree. The only tree to oh, play on the course. The, the one pine Seven. tree that's close to the green? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, that one... Well, the, the superintendent who came on the job thought for sure I was going to take that tree out. <laughs> and, and I said, no, I'm leaving that one. And he's like, really? It's so, close to the, it's so close to the line of play. And I'm like, yeah, but it's only every other day. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> the, the one day you don't even, the one day it's not even, you don't even notice it's there. Yeah, it's when back far. Yeah, yeah. When, you're playing, when you're playing the red course, you don't, that tree has nothing to do with anything. And then the next day you come around and it's like, damn, it's like, 20 feet from where I want to land the ball. <laughs> so you, uh, you meet Lou and you, the, the, the conversation around the plan I hear was kind of humorous. Yeah, so, so I went over to look at the site the first time. I actually took my wife over there because you know, it's only an hour drive from home. And, and we got a tour mostly from the superintendent, you know, just drove the land here and there. And actually part of the time we weren't even on the land that he used. We were on the land for what they're building a part three course on now um, and back in the woods. But, um, you know, my first impressions of the land were that it was nice and it was pretty open because they thinned out the trees a bunch already. Um, but it wasn't visually spectacular at all. You know, there weren't, there were some nice places where you get up along the fence and there's state forest land beside it, but the state forest isn't like solid trees right up to the fence, there's, there's actually a view. So there are a couple places where there's a nice view just kind of off the property. But it's, I mean, it's not, it hasn't got any oceans to look at compared to a lot of things we've done. It was kind of a plain looking site. And it's gentle contour, it's nice contour for golf, but it's not dramatic, you know, you're not hitting off a high tee down, and you're not, it, so, you know, it was not a spectacular sight. But it did tick off the boxes that I've had in the back of my mind for years of, for a reversible golf course. Uh, it's, it's sandy, so the construction is pretty simple. Because if you're, if you're designing something really complicated, you don't want the details to be really complicated too. Right. Um, it didn't have any, like, beautiful, huge oak trees that you, you, oh, we have to save this tree and we have to make it a focal point. 
because it's going to be hard to make a tree like that work well in both directions. Right. Um, it wasn't really hilly where you're going up and over things because you know you can make that work out pretty well one way where you could just hit it to the top of the hill and then play down from there but the other way it's probably going to be a blind tee shot over something 150 yards in front of you and people aren't going to like that so much so it didn't have any of the things that that i would go no not good for a reversible golf course so you know so then i go in and meet lou and i ask him well what do you want and he said well you know, we haven't, you know, I bought, I just bought this existing golf course and everybody loves the golf course, but you know, we're just a stopover for people on their way north to play other golf courses. Nobody stays here. They didn't have, they, he, he didn't have lodging on site at that point. He, you know, he bought a golf course, a big clubhouse and a bunch of land. And they were losing money like crazy in the clubhouse because People wouldn't even stay for a drink. They'd just play, get in the car, and go to Gaylord or come to Traverse City. Um, so he said the number one thing is, you know, I want to build a second course so people will stay here and play the next day. And then I'm going you know, to build rooms to go with it. But, you know, we need to get them to stay on site because then we can make money off food and beverage and we know how many people are going to be counting on it. You know, right. you're not going to drive 20 minutes into town from there. You're just going to stay there that's when you can make money off food and beverage in the golf business. Right. Um, so, you know, I heard that and thought, yeah, that's perfect for a reversible golf course. The whole idea is to make people stay and want to play the next day the other way around. Right. I didn't say that, but that's what I thought. And then, he, and then the other thing he said is he wanted something that was going to wow people. And I was like, this is the right guy for this because that the piece of land is not going to wow people. You can't use scenery. The concept has to wow people. Right. And this concept, if we can pull it off, this will wow people. So I didn't say anything to him about designing a reversible golf course. That day, you he, just left he, it. No, I did not. Because, you know, Lou's, he's not, he wasn't really in the golf business before. Right. You know, he bought a golf course in a distress sale, kind of, because he thought he could make money off it. But he, you know, he hasn't been around the golf business for years and listened to all the conventional wisdom of what you can do and what you can't do. And, you know, I know most clients, I would never have tried to sell this concept because it's too far out there. And the, you know, the first question some of them would ask me would be, well, what would the Raiders think? Right. Who knows? You well, know, they don't even know whether to rate it as one golf course or two. <laughs> yeah. They don't, they, you know, it's, they don't really know what to do with it. And, and for a lot of clients, unfortunately, that would be a big negative. You know, but I thought, Lou, he's not in the golf business the same way. That's probably not the most important thing to him. You know, to him, it's more about, are people going to talk about it? Are people going to want to come here because of it? You know, which isn't all about the rankings. You know, the rankings are kind of a proxy for that now. Right. But it's not just about that. You know, if people want to go to a place because of whatever outside factors, they're going to go. And that's and that's worth money to a to an owner, whether or not the golf course gets ranked highly. Right. Um, but, you know, I just thought this guy is just. He's just removed from the golf business enough that he's only going to see the idea on the merits and not what everybody in the golf business will think of. He's not jaded. 
Yes. So, you know, I came back and we spent about a month trying to draw it up, you know, do a routing. You can't really route a golf course both ways at the same time. You know, you kind of have to find holes on the map the same way you would any other golf course. And then think about, could I play this backwards or could I play it from the side? How would that work? Right. Um, and, you know, even building it, you know, most of the golf course is routed in one direction. And then, and then I spent more time when I was out there thinking about making it work well from the other direction. Wait, do you think, can people guess which direction came first? I try not to tell people really which, which way I thought of it because I don't want, you know, I don't want everybody, the, the one downside of doing a reversible golf course, St. Andrews was reversible. Nobody plays it as reversible anymore because everybody wants to play the road hole and everybody wants to play the 11th, right. which goes that direction. They don't want to play the other direction and not play the road hole the day they were there. So I don't, you know, I tell you the what. only thing that makes the concept fall apart is if one course is clearly better than the other golf course. <laughs> right. So I, I try not to comment on, you know, I mean, I know in practice, some of the holes, some of the best holes are, it's the same green complex played from two different ways. And it's, to they're two totally different holes, but they're also, they've also got a cool green. So they're both cool holes. Yeah. Um, or it's the same fairway and the same movement in the ground that you really like. And that works backwards and forwards, even though you're playing to a different green. So those are the ones that people that stand out for people. But if they play both, it's actually really hard for people to remember what hole was what, or even, you know, the hole that you really liked was that the red course or the black course. It's hard to remember after yeah. playing it once or twice. So, okay. So... Lou signs off. Um, I guess the question I have on well, this. Well, I, I wanted to show you the map. I, I was yeah, going to show you the map because Lou will probably tell this story different. Okay. I've heard him tell it different. But, you know, I, I went over there with. It's like a mariner. I went over there and laid out this map and sat down at a table with Lou and the general manager and a couple other people that work for the resort and started describing the design of this golf course right here. And this is, this is what's now the red course. Okay. Um, you know, first hole down into a valley, back up to the green over that big bunker there. Okay. So this is the red course routing. You know, first hole down into a valley and back up to a green with that big bunker there. Second hole, a short par five. You know, that's the Biarritz green. We didn't really draw it that way. For that matter, the, these two bunkers that are in the fairway, we didn't put those in. Right. Yeah, that's pretty typical for, you know, this is, this is three weeks, a month worth of routing work. We draw bunkers and stuff to make the plan look cool. You know, if you, if you looked at the final version, probably about half the bunkers or maybe a little more than that are in the same place. But right. a lot of stuff changed. And that's, that's kind of typical. We changed our minds in the field. You know, we've, we've, by then we spent a lot more time out there and you know, certain things make sense and certain things just don't make sense. Right. I think this one is actually probably closer than most of what we've done. Okay. But you also see like the fourth hole originally was gonna be a short par four and play backwards the same way. And when we got yeah, out it, there- It's and, different here. This is very different too. Yeah, it is. This is four There's, black. Uh, no. The, that's, that's four, four black. black. 
Oh, right. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. So, you know, so details change. But this, this was the concept. And, I, you know, I kind of walked Lou through it. And he said afterward, you know, I was trying to figure out, well, he said after I presented it, he said, well, that looks like an interesting golf course, Tom, and a really good golf course, but, you know, I want something that will wow me. And that doesn't really do it. And I lifted this up, and I said, yeah, except for this is the same golf course, except you play it all backwards the next day. <laughs> You start out playing down the 18th fairway and up to the green up there, and then you go over to the right and tee off over this bowl to a par three green, and you work all the way around that way. And I swear to God, the room was just pretty silent for about a minute or a minute and a half <laughs> as they tried to process that idea because no, you know, they, none of them had ever thought about anything like that before. And then after about a minute and a half, Clue goes, okay, you really wowed me now. <laughs> And that was it. That was like no more sales pitch needed. Now it was all about, you know, it's funny. The one thing, the one thing that we talked about in that meeting that didn't happen because it didn't take long for somebody to leak it was I said at the beginning, I would rather build this and not tell anybody what we're doing until opening day because oh. I don't want to spend two years trying to explain what we're going to, what we're trying to do. It's going to be really hard to explain to people. Most of them aren't going to understand it. There, it's the golf business, there'll be a ton of naysayers telling you, oh, they're compromising the quality of the one golf course for the other one, or, or oh, it's not going to work because this or that. It's just a gimmick. Or, you know, explain some problem with it that doesn't really exist at all because right. they don't understand the concept well enough. But, you know, within a couple of months of, of getting started, you know, it was out there that we were building a reversible golf course. So I had to spend a year answering questions like, aren't people going to hit each other when they're playing in the opposite direction? And it's like, they're not doing that on the same day. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> all okay. the same questions. <laughs> all right, folks, Adidas. Adidas is pushing the boundaries once again in golf footwear. And if you've been counting, I, don't, I haven't been counting. It's a lot of times. But they're doing it again, so whatever many times it's been, it's at one. Uh, so you need to check this out. It's called the Code Chaos, all capitals. The footwear team let me know that this shoe was meant to break down traditional stereotypes and make a statement that there doesn't have to be one look for the sport when it comes to golf footwear. It's, authentic, it's athletic and bold from a style standpoint, but this shoe is seriously packed with technology. It's spikeless, but beyond just being tested with guys like DJ and Xander, they did heat map studies heat map that means they know where you are right now they literally know and watch i'm telling you you're going to get an ad for adidas footwear in your feed i'm telling you and i just it's not me i don't know if it's them it's probably xander not dj xander's got an x in his name so he's a little more sinister even though i would not i would probably feel more likely that dj would really he could he could do some damage with the club um to my face. So to see how players shift their weight, they use this heat mapping technology to, to see where they shift their weight, but also where you are physically at this current moment uh, throughout the swing. So anyway, with all that info, they created a new traction system called Twist Grip. Twist Grip. 
That's spelled the way it sounds. Anyway, so the players get the grip they need exactly where they need it, and this is an ad lib, and when they need it. That's I just added that. Uh, it's waterproof. Waterproof is key. Let's get let's get honest, folks. If you want a waterproof shoe, unless you live in the desert, you can wear sandals or moccasins. But for everybody else, you need the waterproof shoe. So hit up the code chaos. It's waterproof, lightweight, and obviously has the boost cushioning, which we all love. There's even a high top boa version, which I'm not sure I'm man enough to rock, but John Rahm is. But he's also he's very, very good at golf. We can all agree. These things are next level, so get yourself a pair. Head over to adidas.com slash code chaos. Spelled the way it sounds. Although the C-H in chaos is sounds more like a K. So it's C-O-D-E-C-H-A-O-S. And shop the styles and follow Adidas Golf on Instagram and Twitter for all the latest news from the Trois Stripes. That's three stripes, folks. All right, I'm going to catch me now. We got let give me a second. All right, I'm about to do an ad read for Vice Golf. I don't even have a read, so this is a this is an ad lib. This is an ad libbed lib read. Anyway, Vice Golf, you all know I love the brand. Uh, they make a great golf ball, and there are things that I would tell you in person about the golf ball that I can't tell you in a public forum. But basically, the golf ball is amazing. Technically speaking, on tests, it performs as good or better than what we call, quote, the best golf ball on tour. Now, the Vice Golf Ball also has one cool thing, which is that it's cool. Obviously, the scripting is really sweet. But beyond that, as another cool thing, I'm going to keep pulling cool things out of this ball. The second cool thing is that you can't get it in a pro shop. So go online, go to vicegolf.com, and get your slick balls they've got all different types they've got the tour they've got the drive they've got the pro they've got the pro plus they've got different colors and you can also personalize less than uh you can personalize i don't know what number you can personalize but you can personalize them whereas other brands don't let you personalize them except for once a year so check out vicegolf.com get yourself some smooth and cool balls for the course that is anyway y'all see you in the showers until the next ad read precision pro folks I'm going to do an ad-libbed Precision Pro read. Here's the thing about Precision Pro. They're made by some great guys in Cincinnati, Ohio. It's got great design. And coming out soon, you're going to get a very special colorway of the NX9 Pro with slope. Is that right? That's it. I got, I got a thumbs up in the studio here that that's the exact rangefinder. Not only do you get free battery replacement for life, but you get slope. And you get laser, I mean, it is a laser, laser sharp accuracy. And you get, I don't know, you just get to be part of something cool that I'm down with. So Precision Pro is great. Obviously, the family there in Cincinnati makes them good. We did an RGC there. If you haven't seen it, check out the video on the YouTube channel. We gave everybody a rangefinder. But stay tuned. Coming around April, we're going to be releasing a random golf club version of this rangefinder. It is the most beautiful rangefinder I've ever seen on planet Earth. And I, as you know, I haven't traveled any other planets yet. I've done a lot of countries and states and towns, continents, hemispheres. But I've never left the planet. And I was just talking to someone who said that that's on their bucket list. It's not on mine. I don't share that. But on this planet, the Random Golf Club Rangefinder will literally blow your mind, but it won't blow your wallet. The Rangefinder for everyone, people. Enjoy it. All right, one more ad read. I'll probably do another one after this. Jones Sports Go, folks. If you want the bag that I rock, it's the Jones Sports Bag. They got the Player Series. They got the original. What are the other? What's the other models they got? The stand bags? We're pulling it up in the studio, folks. But here's the thing. Jones, 
If you haven't seen the video on YouTube yet, please check it out. We went up there, visited with them. We designed a lot of cool stuff. We're going to be designing more stuff. We have two bags on the Random Golf Club site that have the Random Golf Club script on it. The Utility Trooper is the is the is the info I'm getting of the name of the other bag that I like. It's got the stand. It's got the stand bag. I also I I mostly rock the original, which is based on a design from the '70s. Uh, was his name Jones? His name was Mr. Jones. Mr. Jones and me. Now that guy got in a lot of trouble for some. What's that? Taxi cabs. But the but the guy who sang the song, Mr. Jones, he's no he's gotten a lot of trouble. Don't want to talk about him. But Mr. Jones, not that the song is written about, was a taxi driver in New York. He made a golf bag out of the upholstery in his taxi. And that's where Jones has come from. So they're obviously the comfortable shoulder strap on the original series is what I love. Got a lot of cargo space and you got three pockets to hold all your clubs. And you look basically like a badass. You're 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 if you're if you don't have a if you don't have a significant other at, at the start of the round, you will have one at the end. Am I right? Watch out. It's, it's you know, that's the studio here says get a Jones bag. I'm not going to say get laid, but basically that's what's going to happen. I mean, I, I didn't say it. You said it. You heard it. I didn't say it. Jones Sports Go, everybody. Love them. Tailor made, folks. I got to tell you, the first golf clubs that ever went in my little old hands were tailor made burner oversize. They had some crusty old grips that I redid myself at risk of my own fingertips with the razor, and I and I got high because there's an, I don't know if you've ever regripped your clubs, but you 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 become an an inhalant addict because you're putting like really noxious stuff. Don't don't grip your own clubs unless you really want to. Anyway, mad respect. Give me a fist bump whenever I see you. I grip, I grip my own clubs. I put the grips on them myself. I saved. How much did you save? I mean, you could save money. You save money because I think you put them on. It's like twenty bucks each, and you and you buy the grips yourself. It's like eight bucks. By the way, regripping fourteen clubs. I mean, you, that's like a lot. Go buy TaylorMades instead. They come with grips. My favorite TaylorMade edition now, obviously the Sim Max I'm playing, is a monster club. One of the many things Tiger Woods have and I in common is playing the Sim. But also, I really, I kind of love the wedges, the raw faced wedges. MG. I both love the high toe in matte black. I also have a matte black shaft. I know you didn't ask, but I went ahead and told you. Anyway, TaylorMade, my favorite thing about TaylorMade beyond the incredibly performing equipment is the people that make this company up. The, the, band of, the band of brothers down here, the band of sisters, the family in Carlsbad really, really gets behind what we do, and that means it's important for you to get behind what they do. So go support TaylorMade, everybody, and hit them straight or just don't, just, just hit them with TaylorMades, though. Just get some. Just stop messing around with all the others. Hit them straight with TaylorMade, but just hit TaylorMade at least. I mean, if you're not, I mean, just just go. I mean, what are you doing? Just pause the pod. Go on TaylorMade. What's their website? I don't even. They don't even need a website. Just go find TaylorMade ASAP. There should be what? What I play? I play the okay. Studio is asking me to play. P, I pay the P seven sixties, four through pitch. Then I've got the milled grind raw face. 50, 54, and 58, and then I rock. I'm in between the Gapper and the Sim Hybrid right now. I play the two Gapper. Uh, I've got a steel shafted 6.5 Project X in that one, as with all the irons. And then on the driver, I have the uh, Sim Max with a 9 degree. I'm still working on getting my numbers on that. I don't really know. I got the 10.5 and, and the 9. We're going to do a little experimentation. Maybe, honestly, you know what? Whatever one I don't use, how about it's yours? How about that? We're gonna. I don't know how we're going to manage this. Head over to the Instagram account. Get ready for the old giveaway of the uh, driver that I can't hit. (laughs) 
Anyway, TaylorMade's the family, folks. So, uh, before I forget, I have to ask this question. Um, did you think about how many holes you get to, uh, you know, have the green slope away from you or slope towards you? Did you did you try to do nine and nine? No, actually, a lot of the greens are crowned, so they cut the front part slopes toward you, whichever way you're playing. But then the back part goes away some. You know, the one of the most unusual things about the golf course it's it's it, this year it's been rainier and it's you know it's got three years of maturity or four years of maturity now so there's there's a little more cushion under the turf the first couple of years it was really dry and there was no thatch at all yet so it was firm i mean the ball just made that thump when it lands like it does overseas but you would see people like fly the ball into the middle of the green and there was nothing to stop it and there's fairway behind and there you know i would see people hit it like 40 yards over the back of the green <laughs> It was, I mean, it was a, a lot of times it was just crazy how far over the green somebody would wind up, something I've never seen on another golf course. Um, you know, and you tell, eventually, you know, they, they explained to people before they were going out, you know, just take enough club to get to the front of the green. It's really firm right now. But I think there's still going to be some of that, you know, even, if, even after it does soften up a little bit. Yeah, it happened to me on um, six red, the mm -hmm. par three. Right. Yes. Right. So, yeah, the little part three. Yeah, the... I, I hit two balls. I hit one from this higher tee that's not used often right. and one from the lower tee. The higher right. tee, I aimed at the front edge and I landed on the front edge and it stayed. And on the next ball I played from the lower tee, I hit it pin high and I was like 50, like I was like... So you're back by that bunker back in there. Exactly, yeah. I didn't go in the bunker, but I was kind of like, whoa. I mean, <laughs> what, do you, what do you say as far as... Like, I was definitely skeptical and I know you and I respect you and all of your work. And I'm always entertained and surprised and satisfied. But I was even skeptical. I was like, what am I going to find here? You know, the word gimmick crossed my head and I felt bad. Well, well, we were ready for that. And we were ready for, you know, not everybody's a fan of mine. So we were, you know, we, were, we knew we were sticking our neck out pretty far. And there were going to be a lot of people lined up to not like it if it didn't turn out really good. <laughs> what is your success? evaluation on on the loop oh what we said before that people like it just as much both ways so it stays a reversible golf course I mean that's success or failure there for sure because no matter what at that point you're offering Lou a wonderful amenity to the property where it's the it cost is down and land space is down I'm assuming right it's it's it, it has the potential to entertain more people and generate more income for a golf course? No, I mean, at the end of the day, a lot of the fundamentals are still the same. I mean, you can only play it one direction on any day. So it's got the same capacity as their other golf course. You know, they can play 200 rounds a day or whatever. You know, you're gonna do the same number of rounds on it. It's actually slightly more expensive to maintain because you've got fairway from tee to green and right on through, there's more fairway there, you know, like, you don't think about it, you, you wouldn't do it practically, but you could putt from the first tee to the third green. The There's fairway way. the whole way. There's only like four or five places on the whole golf course that is interrupted and you couldn't just hit along the ground. Right. Uh, yeah, the but, short par three on black, right? But what it yeah. does do, that, that I hadn't even really thought, you know, what it, what it does do is it gives them three courses for people to play instead of two. So right. they want to stay longer. Stay longer, right. And 
as one of my friends, the, the manager at Riviera is a friend of mine, and he came up when we had our golf tournament there a couple of years ago. And he said, you realize what you did? And I said, I might not be thinking what you're thinking. He said, you only really have to find half as many customers who like this, because they're all going to stay and play it the next day, too. True. You know, that's, and that's, I mean, the hardest thing to do in the golf business now is get to get anybody to stay somewhere. Really? Yeah. I mean, all the Raiders, you know, they want to see 12 golf courses in 10 days. You know, that's the way most golf tourism is marketed now. You can't even, you know, a golf destination is not a golf destination anymore unless it has at least two or three golf courses to go play. You know, just one great golf course, people aren't going. Or people aren't going there near as much as they're going to abandoned dunes that has four. Right. Um, you know, and, and part of that's just the skeptical thing you're talking about. Well, I, you know, I've heard about it in the press, but it, you know, there's there's always some hype attached to that. I might not like it as much as I think. And if it's only one course and I go there and it's it's hyped, then I just wasted a lot of money to get there. You know, if there's three golf courses or four, then you're like, well, I'm gonna surely I'm gonna like one of them. I might not like all of them, but. Surely they're just not hyping up the whole thing and none of it's really that good. Right. So, you know, getting people to stay and play the golf course again, even though it's backwards, you know, ideally you get them to stay for longer than that. You know, I think a lot of people that come and play this thing after the second round, they're like, they're kind of like their head's spinning and they, they can't remember what the hole was like the other way. And they really want to go play it, you know, they really want to go play it the first way again right away. If they could go out, you know, the one thing that you can't do that they do like one day a month sometimes is let people play 18 holes, have lunch, and then play the opposite direction. That's awesome. When I was given tours of it before it was open, the coolest thing was just, okay, let's play the first three holes. Now let's play them backwards. So you see it right away. That you can't do that when it's fully open and you got people behind you, right? But that's the only time at which you go, at which you see it right away how this whole works and how different it is the other way around, right? But the yeah. cool, oh, go ahead. The cool thing about that is there's a little mystery to it. You can't, you can't just go play it forwards and backwards right after each other. You you kind of have to wait, <laughs> right? I was blown away by how much it, more than any golf course I've ever played, how much it made me think and how much, you know, it was, it was very puzzling in a way, like almost trying to like find the things that you had hidden. Right. And, and it was, and Rob actually said to me, we were on the third hole and he said, I mean, I was already having enough of a managing just like the understanding of the entire project and everything like that. And so the playing of the course was, you know, I was, I was totally in it. And Rob said, he said, yeah, I'm surprised you haven't turned around on the third hole. And I was like, huh? <laughs> and I was like, oh, right. And, and it was, I was embarrassed actually that I had been thinking so much about the course in my head and trying to see things just, just the way they were. That I wasn't thinking ahead to the way they will be. It was, it was, and then there was a, I had the same point where I was on, um, uh, I was on the fifth of black and I didn't realize that I was at the, right by the green of your favorite hole. Mm -hmm. And I was like, totally, it's like, didn't realize I was there. And on a normal routing, you would 
totally be like, oh yeah, I know where I am. I know where I am. Right, right. Uh, one of my, one of my one of my funny moments on it. Uh, Larry Lambrick, the golf photographer, is taking pictures of a lot of my work. So, and all those guys, you know, they shoot when the light's really good in the morning and the evening, and in between they go play golf or something because they got nothing to do until the light gets good. So, so. He was over there for a couple of days, and the second day I went over and had lunch with him and played before he went back out and shot it again. And we were playing, it was set up for the black course, so we were playing the black course, and we got to the eighth hole, that little par three, mm. which is one of my favorite holes, and he started laughing, and I'm like, what? He said, I missed this hole. I didn't even realize this was a hole going the other direction <laughs> in two days of being here. Right, well, this, like, is, this is the one that stands out because the tee box... You feel right. like the tee box is over here. Yes, as you, you walk. You, yeah, you have, the the tee box is really removed from the from the the green, and that works both when you're playing twelve red as a short par four, or when you're playing to this green here. But the as opposed to the other par threes where you're either you're playing back over the same fairway, or even you know when you're playing that little sixth hole on red that you were talking about earlier, the thirteenth hole is playing back in much much further up the hill past it, but you at least kind of have a sense of where the other part three is. Yeah. But when you're on 11 red, you don't look over there and think there's no. another hole over there at all. And, you know, you think the tee's probably up here somewhere to play to this green. Right. Well, what struck me about this spot is that we, we were here for a while, actually. Okay. Um, and what struck me about the eighth tee on black was that it was, I believe, the only point on the course where you share a tee box. In both courses, uh, it might be. You know, one of the things one of the things I learned about doing a reversible course is when I started, I thought, "Well, I want to use all the same tees." Whoa! I want to use the same. You, you know, St. Andrews, you basically use the same tees if you're playing backwards. You know, you you step over to the side after you play the second hole and keep going for the third, and when you come back on 16, you step over to the side and play 17. The middle tee. Obviously, you know, they've, they've stretched tees back for the Open Championship that, you know, it gets harder the more you stretch out and have a bunch of tees. If you have one, it's pretty simple to put it over the side and make it, make it work both ways. But like I said about that map of the Valley Club earlier, you know, the, you know, we've built a few courses in the last few years where just there's a lot of short grass mode and, and from the green, from the approach to the green to the next tee is just all short grass. Right. You could kind of put a T marker anywhere you want. So it wasn't a big leap from that to, okay, well, we could just put the T's in the approach for the hall or, you know, we'll just make the approach a little wider and put a deck up here for the T's for going the other way. So we don't have to build a bunch of things that look like T boxes. And the light bulb went on and, you know, T's have to be big because of the number of rounds you play on them. You know, any particular oh. tee only has to be half as big there. If you're only using it in one direction, it doesn't have to be that big. Brilliant. So, you know, that kind of worked out and that, you know, that helped make it a lot more interesting because that's what, you know, I was really worried about how do you do the, you know, I, I didn't think you could have so many 90 degree changes of direction if you were only using one tee. You know, because one, you know, one or the other of these, you'd basically be hitting over the, right over the previous green right. to play. Right. But if you know if you can set the tees on the approach or off to the side, then it's that's not a problem at all. Yeah. So um, can you just spend a little time and try to describe the place 
to someone who's never been there visually? Like, I know you did with the land that surrounds it, but, describe you know. Describe the golf course or describe me, Forest Dunes as a whole? No, maybe, maybe describe some of the holes at the loop and, and how these green structures are so unique, it seemed to me. Okay. Um, well, as I said before, you know, I'd spent a lot of time thinking about how I could do a reversible golf course and that there were some green types that just wouldn't work well for that. And there were some greens that just naturally got more interesting because you would change direction and play them a different way. Like, like the sixth green on the red course, the little par three where you're hitting over native stuff and cross bunkers in front. And it's, it's a very shallow target. It's really wide. It's pretty shallow. And if you hit it too far on the left, it goes over and down into a, you know, a, an apron that you know, makes a run 20 yards off the back left of the green. When you're playing that the other way, you're playing lengthwise into the left side of the green as you, um, as you saw it from the sixth hole. So it's all fairway going into it. It's a long, skinny green. You've got that low left thing before, but that's only if you come up short. Now you're squeezing it in between the back left bunker and all the bunkers on the right side. And you see a bunch of turf and you see a hill behind it. So two completely different looks to the same green. Yeah. And really all, you know, I mean, the green has a couple of wrinkles in it, but it's basically just a long skinny green that the shape of it changes because you play 90 degrees different. Right. Um, uh, the, the, that, the wildest green on the golf course is the, sixth on the black or the twelfth on the red. It's a drivable par four one way, it's a really short par five the other way. Right. And, you know, you've got a lo another long skinny green that's that's kind of low in front, works up a little bit, and then the back tier, it's not so much that the back tier is really higher, it's just tilting up there, but the ground starts falling away harder. So right. it's a very narrow thing with a deep bunker right and a deep hollow in the green to the left. And when you're when you're playing as a short par four, you're just it's it's much safer to just play for the middle of the green and putt back there. If you try to get a little wedge shot all the way back there, you miss it to either side by more than about ten feet. You're gonna have a lot of trouble getting up and down. You're gonna have a lot of trouble even getting the ball back on that terrace of the green with your third shot. Right. You know, it's, that's a hole you play really safe. The par five coming the other way, it doesn't look so severe until you get up on it. So a lot of times you hit a second shot up close to the green, and then if the pin's on, what, you know, now it's the back, but it's now the left, you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, you've got, like, no room at all to stop a wedge shot. You really almost have to play safe to the right of it even even from 50 or 75 yards away. Right. Because it's just too small of an area to stay unless you can stop a wedge shot on a dime. Yeah. Do you, do you ever play a hole that you've designed and say, geez, I made this really hard? Yeah, that one's too severe, honestly. That, that if, it was, if it was a simple matter to just make the hollow at the left a little less severe so that, you know, so that people are less likely to take three putts just to get out of the bowl up on top, that would probably be better. And, and uh, I don't want to go. Great. And, you know, I take the guy, Brian Schneider, one of the three associates who shapes greens for me, did that one. And we've looked at that since, yeah. since we did it. And we're like, 
Yeah, we don't need to make it that severe if we do something like this again. You, know, you just, you know, you don't you don't want people taking all day to try to put up this thing. Um, and then what about the um, uh, Bob editor note? I feel like I'd love to hear you describe the uh, T markers and their origin. Rob told me a little bit about it. He said it was his idea. I don't really care. But I'd love to just hear your version of their significance on this course because uh, we have a lot of great footage of those T markers okay. and, and how unusual they are. Well, I didn't. I honestly didn't know who the T marker idea was. It wasn't mine. So if Rob says it was his, it was his. Yeah. So maybe yeah. Just uh, pretend I didn't say anything. So, okay. So the you know the T markers when we were building the golf course and and um, well the first thing to understand is. One of the hardest things about building that golf course was identifying holes for the everybody working on it, for the maintenance guys. Right. It's like, you know, normally you tell somebody to go to third green, they know where to go. Here, it takes more explaining. And, and so, so the guy setting up the T markers from day to day, he doesn't just move the marker five yards on the same T. He's got to go over to the other side of the green to move the white T's from one side to the other back and forth every day. So it's a pain in the ass to set up. It's a lot harder and it's, it's easier to, it's easy to get confused. And in the beginning, a couple people said to me, well, how are we even gonna find where the next T is when we get off the green? And I was like, well, T markers will solve that. You know, you're just gonna, you're just gonna look for the T marker and you're gonna see the T markers and, you know, go that way. But if you just did a tiny little block on the ground, you know, you, you might not see it very well. You, you, might not, you might not identify right where you gotta go. So somebody over there came up with the idea of putting the little colored flags in so you can find it that much faster. And I think it's a great idea. And it gives the guy setting it up and moving it from one side to the other a little less to do. He's just gotta put it in the general right place and it's fine. It reminded me of uh, Bally Neal, uh, a course you designed in Colorado where the, it's a private course and the, the first player of the day goes out and sets the, the, the selected one tee for the day with like a stick. I, they do all kinds of different things there. I mean, we, you know, we talked about never putting tee markers out at all and just letting people play from where they want. And a lot of their members do. Like a lot of the members, they ignore where the tee marker is and they just, you know, if, if we're playing a match and you win the hole, you decide where we're teeing off the next hole. And it could be forward, it could be way back, it could be like right off the apron of the green. <laughs> and they, you know, there are, there's a few members there that that's what they'll do. They're, they're playing like from the apron of the green instead of even going up to the next tee. What, what are the, I understand that there's very few. What, what are the only rules uh, that a golf course architect must abide by? I was told there's only one actually. Hmm. Well, I try to not have many rules for myself and push the boundaries on other people's rules as much as I can. You but, know, but when like, you tell me I can't do something, I'm probably going to go do it on the next course. You know, if, if you're my client, you say, I don't want that here. It's like, okay, he doesn't want that. I'm not going to do it for him. But <laughs> I will very likely do that, do that very thing pretty soon because he wouldn't let me. But, there's a, but isn't there a, a, a rules of golf? A USGA RNA rule about golf course design and uh, I have to think. Yeah, there, I mean, certainly there are a few conventions that we all live by. One of them is 18 holes, and even though we both played some nine-hole courses that are great, 
And I've seen a handful of things that are like 13 holes or 15 holes or some odd number. You know, 99.9% .9 of the time somebody's talking to you about a golf course, they want 18 holes. And if you tried to sell them on 17 or 20, that's not going anywhere. Um, the size of the hole, Tom. The size of the hole, which, you know, there's people been arguing about that for years, whether the hole should be a little bigger to make putting not so important or whether, you know, Somebody was experimenting with an eight-inch cup a few years ago. I'm not into that, but I'm not either. You know, and you know the funny thing is when they do it, it doesn't have the effect you think. It suddenly makes a guy be able to chip in from 30 yards off the green if they've got a good short game. So it doesn't it doesn't reduce the importance of short game. It almost increases it. Right. Interesting. So you know if you if you wanted to make it really hard for the guys who are really good putters you know, make the hole a little smaller, like right. you see on a putting green. Because, right. you know, it's, then it's hard to even make a 10-footer. Of course, of course, then, you know, the guy that can't lag putt to within two or three feet of the hole, he's going to start missing the second one all the time, <laughs> too. So there's some balance there. Right. But, um, yes, that, that is one standard. And, and you know, and, it's, and the standard in the old days was, after you hold out, first rules of golf say, you tee up for the next hole within two club lengths of the hole. <laughs> you know, not, not two club lengths off the green, you know, right there, right next to the hole, keep going. That's what I was reminded of when I saw the, the singular tee marker with the flag. It's always like, this is kind of, you know, especially because it doesn't feel like a different piece of, uh, you know, earth. Like it's just, it just naturally goes from green to teeing area. Right, and I suppose there's some people like if if they held a USGA Championship there, they would put two tee markers in the ground. Sure, because they have you know they, it is in the rules That's of golf. Rules, there's yeah. a definition of, you know, between these two markers and only within two club lengths of them behind them. Right. That's the only place. Yeah, the singular would off. mess it all up. Yeah. It would. I think I got it all. Um, I feel like we have all of them. Yeah, I mean we have more than enough. You got more than enough. <laughs> I mean, they unfortunately cut these videos down to so short, but I would make this a 30-minute video. But, um, cool. Uh, you want to cut that audio then?